0: Chapter 42, Part 2 of Principles of Geology This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abai in March 2018. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell Chapter 42, Part 2 African Deserts if we attribute the origin of a great part of the desert of africa to the gradual progress of moving sands driven eastward by the westerly winds we may safely infer that a variety of species must have been annihilated by this cause alone the sand flood has been inundating from time immemorial some of the rich lands on the west of the nile and we have only to multiply this effect a sufficient number of times in order to understand how in the lapse of ages a whole group of terrestrial animals and plants may become extinct the african desert without including bornu and darfur extends according to the calculation of humboldt over one hundred ninety four thousand square leagues an area nearly three times as great as that of france In a small portion of so vast a space, we may infer from analogy that there were many peculiar species of plants and animals which must have been banished by the sand, and their habitations invaded by the camel, and by birds and insects formed for the arid sands. There is evidently nothing in the nature of the catastrophe to favour the escape of the former inhabitants to some adjoining province nothing to weaken in the bordering lands that powerful barrier against emigration pre-occupancy nor even if the exclusion of a certain group of species from a given tract were compensated by an extension of their range over a new country would that circumstance tend to the conservation of species in general for the extirpation would merely then be transferred to the region so invaded if it be imagined for example that the aboriginal quadrupeds birds and other animals of africa emigrated in consequence of the advance of drift sand and colonized arabia the indigenous arabian species must have given way before them and have been reduced in number or destroyed let us next suppose that in some central or more elevated parts of the great african desert the upheaving power of subterranean movements should be exerted throughout an immense series of ages accompanied at certain intervals by volcanic eruptions such as gave rise at once in seventeen fifty five to a mountain one thousand six hundred feet high on the mexican plateau when the continued repetition of these events had caused a mountain chain it is obvious that a complete transformation in the state of the climate would be brought about throughout a vast area we may imagine the summits of the new chain to rise so high as to be covered like mount atlas for several thousand feet with snow during a great part of the year the melting of these snows during the greatest heat would cause the rivers to swell in the season when the greatest drought now prevails The waters, moreover, derived from this source, would always be of lower temperature than the surrounding atmosphere, and would thus contribute to cool the climate. During the numerous earthquakes and volcanic eruptions supposed to accompany the gradual formation of the chain, there would be many floods caused by the bursting of temporary lakes and by the melting of snows by lava these inundations might deposit alluvial matter far and wide over the original sands as the country assumed varied shapes and was modified again and again by the moving power from below and the aqueous erosion of the surface above at length the sahara might be fertilized irrigated by rivers and streamlets intersecting it in every direction and covered by jungle and morasses so that the animals and plants which now people northern africa would disappear and the region would gradually become fitted for the reception of a population of species perfectly dissimilar in their forms habits and organization there are always some peculiar and characteristic features in the physical geography of each large division of the globe and on these peculiarities the state of animal and vegetable life is dependent if therefore we admit incessant fluctuations in the physical geography we must at the same time concede the successive extinction of terrestrial and aquatic species to be part of the economy of our system when some great class of stations is in excess in certain latitudes as for example in wide savannas arid sands lofty mountains or inland seas we find a corresponding development of species adapted for such circumstances in north america where there is a chain of vast inland lakes of fresh water we find an extraordinary abundance and variety of aquatic birds freshwater fish testacea and small amphibious reptiles fitted for such a climate the greater part of these would perish if the lakes were destroyed an event that might be brought about by some of the least of those important revolutions contemplated in geology it might happen that no freshwater lakes of corresponding magnitude might then exist on the globe or that if they occurred elsewhere they might be situated in new holland southern africa eastern asia or some region so distant as to be quite inaccessible to the north american species or they might be situated within the tropics in a climate uninhabitable by creatures fitted for a temperate zone or finally we may presume that they would be preoccupied by indigenous tribes a vivid description has been given by mr darwin and sir w parrish of the great droughts which have sometimes visited the pampas of south america for three or four years in succession during which an incredible number of wild animals cattle horses and birds have perished from want of food and water several hundred thousand animals were drowned in the parana alone having rushed into the river to drink and being too much exhausted by hunger to escape such droughts are often attended in south america and other hot climates by wide-spreading conflagrations caused by lightning which fires the dried grass and brushwood thus quadrupeds birds insects and other creatures are destroyed by myriads how many species both of the animal and vegetable world which once flourished in the country between the valley of the parana and the straits of magellan may not have been annihilated since the first drought or first conflagration began To pursue this train of reasoning farther is unnecessary. The geologist has only to reflect on what has been said of the habitations and stations of organic beings in general, and to consider them in relation to those effects which were contemplated in the second book, as resulting from the igneous and aqueous causes now in action, and he will immediately perceive that, amidst the vicissitudes of the earth's surface, species cannot be immortal, but must perish one after the other like the individuals which compose them there is no possibility of escaping from this conclusion without resorting to some hypothesis as violent as that of lamarck who imagined as we have before seen that species are each of them endowed with indefinite powers of modifying their organization in conformity to the endless changes of circumstances to which they are exposed EFFECTS OF A GENERAL ALTERATION IN CLIMATE ON THE DISTRIBUTION OF SPECIES Some of the effects which must attend every general alteration of climate are sufficiently peculiar to claim a separate consideration before concluding the present chapter. I have before stated that, during seasons of extraordinary severity, many northern birds, and in some countries many quadrupeds, migrate southwards if these cold seasons were to become frequent in consequence of a gradual and general refrigeration of the atmosphere such migrations would be more and more regular until at length many animals now confined to the arctic regions would become the tenants of the temperate zone while the inhabitants of the temperate zone would approach nearer to the equator at the same time many species previously established on high mountains would begin to descend in every latitude towards the middle regions and those which were confined to the flanks of mountains would make their way into the plains analogous changes would also take place in the vegetable kingdom if on the contrary the heat of the atmosphere be on the increase the plants and animals of low grounds would ascend to higher levels the equatorial species would migrate into the temperate zone And those of the temperate into the arctic circle but although some species might thus be preserved every great change of climate must be fatal to many which can find no place of retreat when their original habitations become unfit for them for if the general temperature be on the rise then there is no cooler region whither the polar species can take refuge if it be under decline, then the animals and plants previously established between the tropics have no resource. Suppose the general heat of the atmosphere to increase, so that even the Arctic region became too warm for the musk ox and reindeer, it is clear that they must perish. So, if the torrid zone should lose so much of its heat by the progressive refrigeration of the earth's surface as to be an unfit habitation for apes boas bamboos and palms these tribes of animals and plants or at least most of the species now belonging to them would become extinct for there would be no warmer latitudes for their reception it will follow therefore that as often as the climates of the globe are passing from the extreme of heat to that of cold from the summer to the winter of the great year before alluded to the migratory movement will be directed constantly from the poles towards the equator and for this reason the species inhabiting parallel latitudes in the northern and southern hemispheres must become widely different for i assume on grounds before explained that the original stock of each species is introduced into one spot of the earth only and consequently no species can be at once indigenous in the arctic and antarctic circles but when on the contrary a series of changes in the physical geography of the globe or any other supposed cause occasions an elevation of the general temperature when there is a passage from the winter to one of the vernal or summer seasons of the great cycle of climate then the order of the migratory movement is inverted the different species of animals and plants direct their course from the equator towards the poles and the northern and southern hemispheres may become peopled to a certain limited extent by identical species i say limited because we cannot speculate on the entire transposition of a group of animals and plants from tropical to polar latitudes or the reverse as a probable or even possible event We may believe the mean annual temperature of one zone to be transferable to another, but we know that the same climate cannot be so transferred. Whatever be the general temperature of the earth's surface, comparative equability of heat will characterize the tropical regions, while great periodical variations will belong to the temperate and still more to the polar latitudes these and many other peculiarities connected with heat and light depend on fixed astronomical causes such as the motion of the earth and its position in relation to the sun and not on those fluctuations of its surface which may influence the general temperature among many obstacles to such extensive transference of habitations we must not forget the immense lapse of time required according to the hypotheses before suggested, to bring about a considerable change in climate. During a period so vast, the other cause of extirpation, before enumerated, would exert so powerful an ignorance as to prevent all, save a very few hardy species, from passing from equatorial to polar regions, or from the tropics to the pole but the power of accommodation to new circumstances is great in certain species and might enable many to pass from one zone to another if the mean annual heat of the atmosphere and the ocean were greatly altered to the marine tribes especially such a passage would be possible for they are less impeded in their migrations by barriers of land than are the terrestrial by the ocean Add to this that the temperature of the ocean is much more uniform than that of the atmosphere investing the land, so that we may easily suppose that most of the testacea, fish, and other classes might pass from the equatorial into the temperate regions if the mean temperature of those regions were transposed, although a second expatriation of these species of tropical origin into the Arctic and Antarctic circles would probably be impossible let us now consider more particularly the effect of vicissitudes of climate in causing one species to give way before the increasing numbers of some other when temperature forms the barrier which arrests the progress of an animal or plant in a particular direction the individuals are fewer and less vigorous as they approach the extreme confines of the geographical range of the species but these stragglers are ready to multiply rapidly on the slightest increase or diminution of heat that may be favourable to them just as particular insects increase during a hot summer and certain plants and animals gain ground after a series of congenial seasons in almost every district especially if it be mountainous there are a variety of species the limits of whose habitations are conterminous some being unable to proceed farther without encountering too much heat others too much cold individuals which are thus on the borders of the regions proper to their respective species are like the outposts of hostile armies ready to profit by every slight change of circumstances in their favour and to advance upon the ground occupied by their neighbours and opponents the proximity of distinct climates produced by the inequalities of the earth's surface brings species possessing very different constitutions into such immediate contact that their naturalizations are very speedy whenever opportunities of advancing present themselves many insects and plants for example are common to low plains within the arctic circle and to lofty mountains in scotland and other parts of europe if the climate therefore of the polar regions were transferred to our own latitudes the species in question would immediately descend from these elevated stations to overrun the low grounds invasions of these kind attended by the expulsion of the pre-occupants are almost instantaneous because the change of temperature not only places the one species in a more favorable position but renders the others sickly and almost incapable of defence these changes inconsistent with the theory of transmutation lamarck when speculating on the transmutation of species supposed every modification in organization and instinct to be brought about slowly and insensibly in an indefinite lapse of ages but he does not appear to have sufficiently considered how much every alteration in the physical condition of the habitable surface changes the relations of a great number of coexisting species and that some of these would be ready instantly to avail themselves of the slightest change in their favour and to multiply to the injury of others even if we thought it possible that the palm or the elephant which now flourish in equatorial regions could ever learn to bear the variable seasons of our temperate zone or the rigors of an arctic winter we might with no less confidence affirm that they must perish before they had time to become habituated to such new circumstances that they would be displaced by other species as often as the climate varied may be inferred from the data before explained respecting the local extermination of species produced by the multiplication of others Suppose the climate of the highest part of the woody zone of Etna to be transferred to the seashore of the base of the mountain. No botanist would anticipate that the olive, lemon-tree, and prickly pear, Cactus opuntia, would be able to contend with the oak and chestnut, which would begin forthwith to descend to a lower level, or that these last would be able to stand their ground against the pine, which would also, in the space of a few years, begin to occupy a lower position we might form some kind of estimate of the time which might be required for the migrations of these plants whereas we have no data for concluding that any number of thousands of years would be sufficient for one step in the pretended metamorphosis of one species into another possessing distinct attributes and qualities this argument is applicable not merely to climate but to any other cause of mutation. However slowly a lake may be converted into a marsh or a marsh into a meadow, it is evident that before the lacustrine plants can acquire the power of living in marshes or the marsh plants of living in a less humid soil, other species, already existing in the region and fitted for these several stations, will intrude and keep possession of the ground so if a tract of salt water becomes fresh by passing through every intermediate degree of brackishness still the marine mollusks will never be permitted to be gradually metamorphosed into fluviatile species because long before any such transformation can take place by slow and insensible degrees other tribes already formed to delight in brackish or fresh water will avail themselves of the change in the fluid and will each in their turn monopolize the space it is idle therefore to dispute about the abstract possibility of the conversion of one species into another when there are known causes so much more active in their nature which must always intervene and prevent the actual accomplishment of such conversions a faint image of the certain doom of a species less fitted to struggle with some new condition in a region which it previously inhabited and where it has to contend with a more vigorous species is presented by the extirpation of savage tribes of men by the advancing colony of some civilized nation in this case the contest is merely between two different races two varieties moreover of a species which exceeds all others in its aptitude to accommodate its habits to the most extraordinary variations of circumstances yet few future events are more certain than the speedy extermination of the indians of north america and the savages of new holland in the course of a few centuries when these tribes will be remembered only in poetry or history concluding remarks we often hear astonishment expressed at the disappearance from the earth in times comparatively modern of many small as well as large animals the remains of which have been found in a fossil state under circumstances implying that neither any great geographical revolution nor the exterminating influence of man has intervened to account for their extinction but in all such cases we should inquire whether we are sufficiently acquainted with the numerous and complicated conditions on which the perpetuation of each species depends to entitle us to wonder if it should be suddenly cut off mr darwin when calling attention to the fact that the horse megatherium megalonyx and many contemporary mammalia had perished in South America after that continent had acquired its present configuration, and when, if we may judge by the Testacea, the climate very nearly resembled the present, observes, that in the living creation one species is often extremely rare in a given region, while another of the same genus, and with closely allied habits, is exceedingly common a zoologist familiar with such phenomena if asked to explain them usually replies that some slight difference in climate food or the number of its enemies must determine the relative strength of the two species in question although we may be unable to point out the precise manner of the action of the check we are therefore driven to the conclusion that causes generally quite inappreciable by us determine whether a given species shall be abundant or scanty in numbers why then should we feel astonishment if the rarity is occasionally carried a step farther to extinction end of chapter forty two part two